Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I am the founder and CEO of Mara Poling, and I'm pleased to be with you today for episode 14 of our second season. We are drawing near the end of season two. Uh, I'm going to take a little break for the holidays and then uh, be back the very beginning of January with season three. So thank you for joining us today. Today, we're going to talk about uh, value-add projects, and I'm going to give you our list of value-add projects and tell you a little about how we think about them and make our decisions around which ones we employ and which ones we maybe hold off on and the timing of when we uh, execute those. So um, as always, the material we share is 90% applicable to those of you that own a single family rental or a duplex or a fourplex. Obviously, the all of the content we're presenting is the strategies that we use for our larger commercial assets, uh, 100, 200, 300 unit uh, multifamily properties that we purchase as part of the Mara Polling portfolio. If you would like to learn more about our portfolio and our fund product and uh, potentially working with us and uh, joining our uh, investor family, we'd be happy to talk to you about that. You can always shoot me an email uh, with either questions about that or just questions about the content we share. My email address, pat at marapolling.com. That's M-A-R-A P-O-L-I-N-G.com. We also have some other really good content at the Learning Center at marapolling.com. I encourage you to check it out. Uh, I believe we've got a webinar that's uh, posted about value add and also one about uh, the math in terms of how you do the math on some of the value add. We're not going to get into the math today or necessarily all of the other items around value add. Uh, today, what we really want to talk about is um, the specific projects. Uh, what are the things that make sense to do? And maybe uh, what are the things that maybe don't make as much sense? Um, so we're going to start with uh, uh, do's and don'ts. Uh, and actually, I have one of each. So I have a do and I have a don't. Uh, do, and this is what we do on each of our properties that we not just acquire, but every property that we uh, take a serious look at and that we underwrite, we do evaluate the target asset against the competition within the local marketplace. And here's what I mean by that. We will take a survey of our asset, look at the interior finishes, evaluate the status of the exterior of the property, the curb appeal items. We'll take a look at some of the amenities that the asset has. So we get an understanding of what the baseline is that we're dealing with. And then we'll go out and look at the competitive assets in the submarket. Competitive assets, that means assets that are certainly within a mile or two of the asset. We could go as far out as five miles. Uh, generally speaking, the overwhelming majority, 90% plus of our prospective tenants already live within five miles of the asset. So. Uh, we'd go as far out as five miles. Certainly the assets are, that are within a mile or two miles or even three miles uh, would be near the very top of the list in terms of 
uh, comps that we would look at. We also want to look at assets that are uh, competing for the same class of tenant. So uh, we like class B, it's the Goldilocks class. Again, go to the learning center at marapolling.com and you'll learn a little bit more about what we mean about the Goldilocks class. Uh, so we're not looking at class A properties. Uh, we, uh, we leave those to others uh, to work with. Um, and we aren't really looking at class C's. Uh, we may be looking at a property that is a class B property that's been operated as a class C or a class B that can be improved to the point where it might be a B plus where it's getting awfully near the A minus assets. Um, we will in that instance want to comp against the A's just to make sure that that buffer between the two uh, still exists. So we're going to go out and look at the other class B assets within say three miles. Let's, let's have that uh, conversation for today. And what we're looking for is a couple of things. One, we're looking to see what improvements others have made. Uh, are there one, two, three other assets that have upgraded flooring, uh, two-tone paint, uh, renovated kitchens, uh, you know, lighting packages, uh, covered parking, those, those kinds of things, which are some of the items that we're going to uh, talk about um, today. Uh, we're also looking to see if none of them have that. Um, there certainly are assets we've looked at uh, where none of those exist, and we might believe that there's a market for it. Uh, we're not pioneers. Uh, we're not going to be the first folks in a market to bring an amenity or an improvement to the marketplace. Uh, primarily because we need to have some data that tells us what that improvement is actually worth, what the value is that it can drive in terms of incremental rent or lease up or some other uh, metric that we can quantify. And you can't do that if you're the first one bringing that to market. So if nobody in the marketplace has done an interior upgrade package, if everyone is still leasing what we would describe as a classic unit, then uh, that's probably not going to fit our model for a, a value add. Uh, if what we see is that others have upgraded kitchens and flooring uh, and an improved curb appeal and so on, then great. Then that gives us some idea of what to work on. And then we're going to do some math to look at what's the delta, what kind of rent are they getting versus what we're currently getting, and see if we can do some math to figure out just what's the value of those particular improvements. The don't is what we don't do is go in with our own personal list of what we would want to do to improve the property, which tends to move towards the, well, if it had these improvements, I'd live here. And uh, I, I think I have good taste. My, my guess is all of you have very good taste and uh, that might serve you quite well. Um, and it could also lead to uh, an improvement package that doesn't fit the marketplace. Um, the biggest risk being that you improve the asset um, so it's now out of market. You over-improve the asset. Gee, I'd love to see granite countertops in here. Well, if nobody else in the sub-market has granite countertops, again, you're taking that pioneer role and stepping out there. Um, I'd love to see uh, a high-end appliance package with um, 
uh, you know, a little more uh, professional grade uh, uh, cooktop, uh, double ovens, those kinds of things, which get it, that's getting you into that A space. And unless there's Bs that have those, um, again, that's not something that makes a lot of sense. And so you want to stay away from doing that. You really want to stay focused on what the comps are doing and what the math um, tells you. Uh, what I'm going to share with you now is our list that we generally will go through at an asset. So again, these are for the properties we look at, 100, 200, 300 unit properties. Um, and you might be wondering, well, how do we go about acquiring those? Well, uh, investors, much like uh, uh, yourselves, uh, join with us. Uh, we pool funds together, and then we go and purchase one of these assets, and we manage it on behalf of all of our very nice clients. If you are interested in that, like I said, you can reach out to us. If you're getting started and you're doing this on your own, and again, maybe you've got a uh, a couple of fourplexes, uh, or maybe you're looking to buy a, a 15 or a 20 unit property in your uh, nearby neighborhood, uh, then these are the kinds of things that you could uh, think about. And again, we'd encourage you to do the exact same do's and don'ts that we just um, listed for ourselves. So um, so this is our list. Um, so let's start with that interior package. This is the most common thing that we will see when we go out and look at comps. And generally speaking, it includes the following kind of items. Some kind of upgrade flooring. Uh, we tend to use vinyl plank. There can be uh, laminate flooring. Uh, you start getting into actual hardwood flooring, you're probably pushing in the, into that A space. Uh, but again, uh, look at what the comps are saying. Um, uh, we'd be looking at doing some sort of solid surface countertops. Uh, it, Certainly could be granite. Uh, there, there are assets we've owned that have been in markets where granite has been the standard amongst the competition. There are also others where it's just been a resurfaced um, existing countertop. Uh, tile, um, probably not. Um, upgraded cabinetry uh, could be new uh, or painted uh, doors and boxes, uh, might be new doors and new fronts. Uh, hardware, uh, new poles, those sorts of things. An appliance package, um, uh, and in particular, an appliance package that in includes a microwave, a mounted microwave. Um, two benefits there. The minor benefit is a tenant gets a microwave, which they appreciate. Uh, most tenants own a microwave already. Uh, so the bigger benefit actually is they get back anywhere from three to four square feet of counter space, and that's uh, extremely valuable for anyone, especially in a, in a modestly sized uh, kitchen. So by mounting it, uh, they get a nice microwave that integrates into the kitchen, and they they recover that uh, that counter space. Um, lighting, uh, LED lighting in particular, uh, two benefits there. Uh, if the tenant is paying the uh, utility bill, which is 99% uh, of the time, uh, the way our assets are structured uh, and potentially anything you might do, uh, then obviously they're getting some benefit out of that. Uh, LED uh, fixtures can last longer and be more uh, durable as well. The cost difference between LED and incandescent fixtures is negligible to non-existent these days. Uh, plumbing fixtures, upgraded plumbing fixtures. There's some benefits that we'll get from those last two items in that uh, we can 
qualify for uh, favorable interest rate treatment uh, under uh, in, uh, environmental efficiency programs, green programs, uh, for having reduced uh, utility usage, uh, be it water or um, electricity in the uh, in the units. So that's kind of the typical package that we'll see. Like I said, some uh, comps may be a little higher end, some submarkets where they'll they'll have backsplashes and granite countertops, and and maybe there'll be uh, you know a higher end flooring package. Uh, and others may be a little more basic. Others may not include all of those items. They may simply have appliances and uh, countertops and flooring, um, and they haven't really done much maybe with cabinetry or with lighting or plumbing fixtures and such. Um, so that's a great one to, um, to look at. Um, and let's just use this as an example. So let's say we're doing that kind of an improvement. Well, what's it worth? Uh, it's going to cost a certain amount of money to do that, and it's got to generate a certain amount of return in order for it to make sense uh, to achieve that. And that's where your underwrite becomes really valuable. So you're using that competitive analysis to identify what, um, what the value is. And that can be challenging in that you might look at a number of comps and let's just, as an example, say that our average rents are $700 a unit and the average rent of these other properties we're looking at are $900 a unit. Well, that's a $200 differential driven by this package. Maybe um, some of those units might have amenities that we don't have. Maybe they have one, one has a fitness center and the others don't, and we don't have a fitness center. Uh, a, another might be freshly painted with brand new landscaping. Uh, we may have serviceable paint and landscaping, but not brand new, not the highest end curb uh, appeal. Um, some may have some other interior improvements uh, like washer dryer hookups. We're gonna talk about that in a minute. Um, so it can be a challenge to discern what's the difference on those. Um, and that's where it takes some analysis to go through and identify, okay, are there units that just have this improvement that I can look at so that I can get an idea of what the number is and maybe it's $150 a month. Well, if I can get $150 a month, that's roughly $1,800 a year in incremental uh, NOI. And at a six cap, that's gonna be worth X thousands of dollars. And I'm gonna spend $7,000 putting this in and then I can do some math to figure that out. So that's one of the first items that, uh, that we would look to do and uh, fairly typical. Um, I think there may be uh, in our portfolio that we've executed over time, there might be one asset um, out of all the ones we've done where we didn't do this full package. That's uh, generally one of the things we're gonna be looking for is, is an opportunity to make this kind of investment uh, because it has such a great return. Washer dryer hookups. Um, in my mind, this is the home run uh, improvement opportunity. Um, people sincerely appreciate the ability to do their laundry in unit. Going down to a laundry room, going to a laundromat, not having laundry on sites, just uh, unspeakable in a B class, but going down to a laundry room, doing your laundry, going back to your apartment, going back down, having to wait, going, you know, there's not a dryer available when you need it, whatever it might happen to be. Um, it works. It's so much nicer to have that uh, washer dryer unit in your uh, apartment. 
So uh, in order to do that, you've got to install plumbing, right? So you've got to have uh, the water uh, delivery into the space. You've got to have uh, the hookup for the dryer, whether it's gas or electric. You've got to have venting uh, installed and you've got to have a drain uh, installed um, so that you're uh, protecting uh, your investment there. That might cost anywhere from a couple thousand dollars to several thousand dollars. And in order to make a decision about whether or not that's a good investment, again, you've got to be able to discern what the value is. And you may see a, a wide range of values. You might see uh, comps where they're getting $50 or $75 a month for washer dryer hookups all the way up to $150 a month. Again, it just depends on the uh, on the market that you're in and you've got to really look at the comps. Uh, the hookups are one thing and then there's the question of do you decide to apply, uh, also provide the, the actual appliances? Do you buy washer dryers and do the maintenance on them uh, with your own maintenance crew, uh, which potentially gives you um, more return, but you're now taking that liability and responsibility on, or do you get a maintenance contract where uh, another firm actually provides the units and they do the maintenance and so on on them? You save capital um, uh, from that standpoint. And again, you just have to do the math to see which one makes the most sense. In some units, uh, you may not have room for full-size side-by-side uh, setup, so you might have to go to stackables in a smaller closet. Uh, and again, all of that's something that you need to um, to evaluate. Generally speaking, washer dryers are really good improvements. Interior paint, um, typically included as part of that interior package, but could be something that's done separately. Um, a higher quality paint, uh, you know, a more designer colors, uh, two-tone uh, paint. Uh, there may be some molding treatments that you have in some units. So those are some things to think about. Um, I'm going to save exterior paint um, for a, another portion of this. We'll hold on to it for a few minutes and then we'll chat about that. Um, courtyards. Um, courtyards and balconies. Um, most likely not going to add a balcony if it's not there. The uh, incremental value of a balcony compared to the cost uh, and the structural work and everything else, uh, we haven't found it to be there. Um, existing balconies, uh, cleaning them up, uh, certifying them as being safe, all of those things, uh, that's certainly valuable. Um, but for ground floor units, adding a courtyard. Uh, there may be a small patio right now, uh, if it's not fenced, fencing that in. So there's some privacy, the ability to maybe have uh, some chairs uh, for the tenant to put some chairs outside, small table, a grill. Uh, if you have a pet policy for them to have pets uh, and let a small pet uh, outside there, that can be really valuable. Uh, fairly inexpensive to uh, install and um, uh, and a nice uh, benefit in terms of uh, incremental uh, rent from that standpoint. Uh, covered parking uh, and or garages. Garages tend to move you more towards a class A space. Um, we have uh, very little uh, in the way of uh, assets with garage space. Um, there is some in the class B space. Uh, covered parking is, is uh, a little more common. Uh, a lot of units will not have, a lot of assets will not have covered parking. 
Uh, and depending upon where you live, what uh, market you're in, our markets that we're focused on right now are in the uh, Texas uh, area, in the Texas Triangle. And uh, covered parking's uh, a really great value there. Uh, there's protection from uh, rain and uh, windstorms, hail in particular. Um, and it can be offered as a premium amenity where there's some additional rent generated by having that. It can also be deployed as simply an upgrade overall, right? So covered parking for all of the units uh, and it simply is an add-on to the rent. So the, rent, the base rent simply moves from that standpoint. If you're in the desert Southwest where it's very hot, uh, covered parking has some very nice value there in terms of keeping the uh, vehicles cooler and protecting them from the damaging rays of the sun. If you're in uh, an inclement space like the Pacific Northwest uh, or um, uh, or part of the sort of snow belt, right? So the uh, upper plains uh, over through the Northeast, uh, again, covered parking can give you some benefits uh, from uh, from that weather. So just about any market you're in, covered parking would be something to um, to look at. So let's talk about um, now some items that could be done that, you know, we started moving outside. Um, so let's talk about uh, what I would describe as amenities. Um, swimming pools. Um, uh, we've not found an instance yet where it's made sense to add a swimming pool. Um, uh, we do have assets that have swimming pools. They're very nice amenities. Uh, a modest number of our tenants in those assets use uh, the pools. Uh, it can be a very nice benefit when you're uh, giving uh, prospective tenants a tour uh, for them to see uh, that there is a swimming pool uh, that's well-maintained and that is clean and uh, you know nice furniture around it and those things. A um, couple reasons, one is most folks can see themselves using that. Uh, and it sends a very nice signal that if you're taking good care of the pool, you're taking good care of the rest of the property, which maybe some of those other maintenance items aren't quite as visible. Um, in addition to pools, California kitchens, a uh, term that we would use for them, essentially an outdoor uh, grill area uh, with some seating, uh, could have a pergola or some other uh, sort of cover with it. Uh, those are very nice uh, benefits. Uh, fitness centers, uh, a clubhouse, um, all of those are wonderful amenities. And how valuable they are, again, goes back to the comps. If you're competing with other assets that have all of those amenities, your ability to get a tenant to come to your property, to even come in and look at your asset and look at your, uh, your units may be hampered by not having uh, those items. That doesn't mean once people have moved in that they're going to use them a lot. All of those things I mentioned, the clubhouse, fitness center, pool, and so on, um, will be used most likely by um, a, a small number of your tenants, not a majority. Um, but seeing those uh, gives everybody um, sort of positions your asset in the, um, in the marketplace. Um, those are a little more difficult to quantify. So if there's not a fitness center and you're thinking about adding a fitness center, uh, there's got to be a space to do it. If it's going to be in an existing unit, you're going to take that unit offline. So you've got to uh, uh, calculate that math into the, uh, into the puzzle. And then you've got the uh, outfitting of the space itself. So the interior 
uh, improvements as well as the equipment and uh, those uh, sorts of items that go with it. And then that's got to be contrasted with, uh, is that going to change either my uh, overall occupancy? Am I going to be able to lease more units? And or am I going to lease up my units faster? Um, so if my uh, current uh, metric says that an existing unit, when it becomes vacant, sits vacant for uh, 27 days, can I get that down to 20 days or 15 days or some uh, other time frame uh, by having these amenities? I'm going to get more traffic and more lease up from that standpoint. And once you've got that, uh, those numbers in place, then you can do some math and again determine if that makes uh, sense or not. The last category of items I would I would put out here. Um, well, actually, kind of, there's two categories, I guess. So one would be um, items that they're not really value-add improvements. They're simply ongoing maintenance that needs to be done. And you don't want to start to think of these as improvements. So roofs. A tenant expects there to be a roof on the property that's going to keep them and their um, belongings safe and secure and dry. Um, so putting new roofs on or making an, uh, an improvement to a roof or fixing a roof somewhere uh, on your on your property, uh, that's simply the price of doing business and uh, should be factored in. We will look at that on the front end. Uh, we may uh, budget that in. Um, if there's a, a roof in pretty good shape, but we know sometime over the hold period, it'll need to be changed out. We'll budget some dollars in for that. Uh, if the roof very clearly needs maintenance right now, that may be something we'll either budget as an immediate item, uh, which the lender would also expect, or it may be something that we uh, negotiate with the seller so that uh, some or all of that work is completed prior to um, close. Uh, HVAC unit uh, maintenance, all those kinds of things. Uh, again, tenants simply expect them, and that's an appropriate expectation. Uh, that they have from that standpoint. There's other items that you could do that affect curb appeal. Um, and they may or may not be something that makes sense to do um, early on in the hold period. Um, exterior paint, landscaping, uh, uh, fencing, property fencing, not courtyards that we talked about earlier, but property fencing, which would either involve uh, fixing uh, existing fencing or adding new fencing, um, uh, some parking lot uh, items, uh, you know, uh, a resurface and uh, restriping, those sorts of things. Some of those items may fall into the category like roofs and such. They, they simply need to get done, right? If the paint on the building is in very poor shape, well, it needs to be painted. It's not really for aesthetic reasons, although there's an, there's an aesthetic component. Um, paint is there to protect your siding. It's to protect the asset. So uh, that may need to be done sooner. Um, landscaping, if landscaping's overgrown and causing problems, uh, it's covering walkways and those kinds of things, then there's some of that that probably needs to be done as an essential item uh, and so on. If they're not in that category and the comp status tells you that there's not going to really be any lease up that you're going to drive by doing that. So all the other properties in the competitive marketplace have similar uh, curb appeal to yours. 
uh, and there's not going to be a pop that you're going to get from doing that, then you may hold off. And that may be something you'll do uh, as we would as we get close to the end of the hold period. Uh, doing a few minor improvements like this that will improve curb appeal before going to market uh, can help bring more potential buyers to the table. And obviously, the more buyers, uh, the better the uh, the sales price uh, when it comes time to exit the um, the asset. So um, two last items uh, for you. And as I said, we've got a really good... Um, uh, webinar at the Learning Center at marapolling.com. That's M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. Uh, we've got a really good uh, webinar on value add. Uh, there's another one in there on uh, called It's Just the Math, um, which will help you go through and understand some of the math that drives how you make these decisions. Um, and, and that leads me to these last couple of points I want to make. Um, so what's the minimum return? I get this question a lot. What's the minimum return? Uh, you know, if I'm going to put $1,000 into an, an improvement, $1,000 per unit, what should I expect to see? Uh, you know, is, uh, is a $20 incremental rent uh, a good number? Is $50 a good number? Is $100 a good number? And obviously anyone could, could come to the conclusion that 50 is better than 20 and 100 is better than 50, right? So the more you could get for that $1,000 improvement, the better. But where would you draw the line? At which point you would say, you know, this isn't something I think it's gonna be as valuable as something else, or it's gonna be valuable at all, and we're either not gonna do it now, and we're gonna wait, or we're simply uh, not gonna do it, period. Um, and the answer to that is, um, I don't know, it's unique to each asset, and you need to look at your underwrite. And the reason I say that is, you're really not going to be making any movements in rent in isolation, right? So if you're doing an interior upgrade package, as we might add as, at an asset, and we're looking at potentially adding washer dryer hookups, that may be on its own, that may be enough to get us to a competitive parity where, where we would be seeing rents comparable with the competition, such that while courtyards, might drive an incremental X dollars, say 30 bucks. Let's just pick that number. Um, but I might not actually be able to get that 30 bucks because now I'm really on parity with everyone else in the marketplace. And so it may not make sense to do that. So the right answer is uh, you have to have an underwriting tool. Um, our underwriting tool is rather sophisticated. Uh, we have lots of abilities to go in and add each of these different items and make adjustments for what would happen in terms of rent. And then that helps us make a decision about which ones would make sense to have uh, in the early phases of the hold period, which uh, as opposed to which ones we might um, hold on to. Um, you also may have picked up there that I said, um, you know, which one has more value relative to others? Um, we manage portfolios of assets. And therefore, uh, if I have an asset where I'm getting uh, a wonderful return, a very high return on my value add dollar. And at another asset, I'm getting a, a very solid return, but it's 20% less than what I'm getting at the, the first asset, then I may slow down my improvement schedule on the lower return asset and defer some of that capital till later, take that additional capital that I've just created and move it over to the other asset to expedite that process or potentially even do additional improvements. 
And um, that's because we're structured as a fund. Uh, at least some of our uh, holdings are structured as a fund. Our current offering is structured that way. We have that flexibility. If you've invested with another sponsor like us and you're invested in individual assets, there most likely isn't that kind of opportunity. So it's one of the places where uh, our uh, investment model uh, has some additional benefits. Uh, and obviously, if you're doing this uh, work on your own, as I said, maybe you own a couple of fourplex properties. Uh, there's not a lot uh, to work with there. You're only talking about maybe eight or 12 units, uh, but you could still be making some decisions about uh, which one you might uh, prioritize over another, which asset uh, you would prioritize and what dollars would go um, go where. Bottom line, you've, you've just got to do the math. Remember the do's and don'ts. Uh, you want to look at what the competition is. That's going to help you get uh, good data that you can use to identify what the uh, the value part of value add is. Um, and then uh, you don't want to fall into the trap of, well, here's what I'd like to do because I'd really, I think this will look good. I think this will be really neat. Uh, you've got to go by what the comps say. Um, and when you put all that together, it ends up just being math, uh, which again is the uh, webinar we've got on the Learning Center uh, called It's Just Math. I appreciate you all joining us today. Uh, we have two episodes left in season two. Uh, the next one uh, that you'll hear from us is about risk management, uh, insurance in particular. We're going to spend some time talking about that. And then we're going to finish the year off talking about, uh, we talk about the Goldilocks uh, asset class, about Bs being the Goldilocks uh, class. As are great, Cs are great. We really like Bs. We think they're in the right spot. Um, we think that's also true for uh, leverage. So how much leverage is too much leverage? How much leverage is not enough? What's the Goldilocks space for leverage? Uh, you'll, you'll hear um, both of those coming up over the next couple of weeks as we finish off season two. And then be sure to subscribe so that when we launch season three, which will be the very beginning of January, uh, that you'll uh, be able to pick right up where we've left off. We've got some really exciting things planned for, uh, for 2019 for season three. And again, appreciate you all joining us. If you have any questions about what I have gone over today, I uh, would love to uh, chat with you. Uh, happy to discuss uh, what we do, uh, if you'd like to be a part of that. And, uh, and if you've got some assets of your own that you'd like to chat about, I'm happy to spend a few minutes with you as well. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling. And I look forward to seeing you next time. Bye-bye.